We are in Exodus 18, Exodus chapter 18. How are you guys doing on daylight savings time? Pretty good? Hate to mess with you right now, but it's an hour later than normal. So I'm going to be watching for nappers. So if you, if you happen to fall asleep, normally I, I just let it go. But tonight I'm going to mess with you a little bit, okay? So. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this chapter, a, a window into Moses' life and his weakness and where he needs to make changes, Lord, it resonates with us. We pray that you would teach us and that you would instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we believe two lies that really complicate our lives. The first is that more is better. I think many times we have bought into that. If I just have more, if I be more, then that is better in my life. And the second is that if I'm busy, then I must be effective. So busyness equals effectiveness and more equals better. Moses in this chapter is extremely busy. But his father-in-law comes and pays him a visit, Jethro, and says, you're doing too much. And because you're doing too much, then it's a detriment to yourself, and you're going to wear out the people that are around you. I can't really think of a message that's more applicable to our culture. We tend to simply do too much. And it ultimately leads to a place of burnout. We wear ourselves out, and we also wear those around us wear those around us out as well. So I think there's much for us to learn in this chapter. So verse 1 of chapter 18, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. He knew that his son-in-law had gone back to Egypt. He had heard the great news of God's deliverance, and so now he wants to go and pay Moses a visit. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Moses had sent Zipporah and his two sons back. So now it's time for Zipporah and the two sons to rejoin Moses. So Zipporah is going to come with her father to return. We're reminded of the names of his two sons. Gershom, which means I've been a foreigner in a strange land. And then Eliezer, that the Lord had delivered Moses out of Pharaoh's hand. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with you. In verse 7, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. So this is the normal greeting, the normal Middle Eastern greeting. They're so happy to see each other. Father-in-law, son-in-law, they embrace, and then they head into the tent to catch up. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. 
all the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. What a conversation this must have been to hear the testimony right from Moses. As Moses is saying, this is where the Lord was faithful. This is where the Lord was faithful. Man, you should have seen all of the flies. You should have seen the frogs, the Passover, the Red Sea, the manna from heaven. So many things to be able to share, but it's summed up in hardship. Hardship. Hardship gives birth to testimony of God's deliverance. So when we go through hardship, when we go through disappointments and difficulty in our lives, that's building the stage to declare the testimony of God. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and is who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Share God's deliverance in your life. Share how you got saved. Share how he's continuing to be faithful in your life because it causes people to rejoice in the Lord. In verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all is greater than all the gods for the very thing in which they behave proudly he was above them. Jethro gets the message that God is the one true living God that he was over all of these gods that the Egyptians served. Jethro's moved to worship in verse 12. Then Jethro Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering, an offering sacrifice to offer to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Everything's great in the visit up until this point. I mean, this is a wonderful visit. Jethro's hearing of all the wonderful works of God. He worships the Lord, celebrating in the deliverance. But there's some bad news on day two. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? So I think there's some really practical lessons for us to learn from this when we're trying to evaluate our own lives. And the first is, if you're taking notes, is we need an outside perspective. We need someone's perspective that's not living with us day in and day out. Jethro is not involved in this in a personal way. He's a visitor, and he watches Moses. And here's Moses from Sun up to sundown, roughly 12 hours, the people are bringing their problems to Moses all day long. And Moses is trying to sort it out for them. And the line, you can imagine, the line is just piled up of all these people that are waiting for Moses' wisdom. A million plus multitude. And Jethro says, hey, what you're doing, it's not good. And why do you sit alone? Why are you in this position of, leadership alone. And Jethro is going to speak the much-needed counsel into Moses' life. As we're doing the day-to-day, we're in the weeds. We're in the forest. And we don't have the perspective of someone who isn't in the day-to-day with us. Now, the day-to-day input is really valuable as well. But we also need input from an outside perspective to give us godly wisdom. So let me give you a couple examples. So here are the leadership of our church. 
is we're in the weeds together. We're in the forest together, our pastoral team, the staff, and we're laboring together. And there's certain times where we need someone's outside perspective to come and give us wisdom. One of our board of elders uh, is Pastor Ed Taylor, and he's the pastor of Calvary Aurora. The rest of the board of elders are here in our church. And he gives us a valued perspective in our meetings because he's not here all the time, right? But it's so good to have the perspective of the board members that, that are here all of the time. You know, having Kent Nolly back from furlough, Kent and Rebecca, as they are doing the work in Gulu, Uganda, is Kent's able to come back and give a fresh perspective because he's not in the weeds. He's not in the forest anymore here. He's in the weeds in Gulu. So when we go visit him in Gulu, we're able to give him the outside perspective. So in our families, let's make this personal with our families. Whoever you live with, if you're single and you've got, got roommates, but let's, let's look at this in the context of family. You're doing family life, and we desperately need someone's perspective that doesn't live inside of our four walls, right? That's not in the midst of that daily experience to provide wisdom, because Moses doesn't see anything wrong with what he's doing. And for the most part, Moses is a great leader, he loves the Lord. He's serving faithfully. It's not like he's in sexual sin or he's stealing God's money. None of those types of things. The problem is, is he's trying to do too much. And by trying to do too much, it's really hindering what God's work could do. I mean, what if someone spent a week with you? Where would they go? You know what? You really don't need to be doing that. Why, why do you do that? Why do you sit alone in that position? Why don't you trust other people to come alongside of you and provide help for you? And so where do you get that outside perspective? A lot of times it's going to come from a family member or a close friend. They don't live inside of your four walls, but they know you. Jethro doesn't live in Moses' tent, but he knows Moses, right? And it may be a father-in-law or could be a, a parent or could be a close friend that says, you know, I really care about you and you're wearing yourself out and you're wearing everybody else out too. And there needs to be, to be changes. And so be open to that outside perspective. Pray for it and maybe even ask for it. Maybe you know you have friends in your life that you can trust, family in your life that you can trust and say, would you give me that outside perspective? In verse 15, and Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. They said to wear Moses out. They didn't feel that they could go to directly to God, so they go to Moses so Moses could go to God. All the things that Moses must have heard must have been difficult for Moses to sleep at night. Or sometimes he was so exhausted, it was easy for him to sleep at night. And thankfully, because of Jesus, we all have direct access to God, right? You don't have to go to a spiritual leader to have that spiritual leader take your request to God. You get to go directly to God. In verse 16, when they have difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So they're having disagreements with each other, and Moses has got to sort it out according to God's word. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. 
for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Point number two is identify the road you're on. Identify the road you're on. Jethro is able to look at Moses and say, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. You're going to burn out and you're going to wear out everybody else. This is not sustainable what you're doing. Sometimes as we're in the forest, in the weeds, trying to survive from day to day, we never stop and ask the question, can I realistically do this a year from now? Can I really realistically do this five years from now? Can I realistically do this 15 years from now? Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's things that God has called us to that there's no getting out of. If you're married, God is calling you to stay in your marriage. Amen? So if you're sitting there going, I don't know if I can stay in this marriage for another year. Yes, you can. (laughs) Because Christ in you can fulfill you to do this. But there's a lot of other things that we can make changes in, right? We look at our schedule and we go, you know what? I am way over committed. What is the emphasis of what Jethro sees here? He's, he says, this is too much. You can't do this, Moses. You're doing too much. And it's not that the work was bad. It was that the work need to be shared. And if you're not careful everything is going to suck you in to too much, and it's always good things. There's always activities for the kids, right? And our culture says, man, the kids, they got to be in every activity under the sun. There's so much pressure on the kids to be on the sports team, but not just any sports team. Man, it's got to be a club sports team. When I was growing up in my small town in southern Oregon, Grants Pass, Oregon, we had a boys and girls club. And basketball season involved eight weeks where you had one practice on Tuesday night or Thursday night, and then you had one game on Saturday. And the dads were the coaches. And that was it, right? And then the rest of the year, what'd you do? You played in the driveway. You played with your friends. And you just came up with your own game. And, And not that there's necessarily anything wrong with the club sports, but it can drive our lives, right? And it can drive our kids, And then you got to do art, and you got to do music lessons. And my goodness, they've got to be experts at Latin in seventh grade. It just, it's never ending, right? And that's just the pressure that we feel as parents for our kids. Not to mention that the church will ask a lot of you if you're not careful, right? There's always a need in the church. And so maybe you're committed here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, and, and you're serving, And you got to pray that through and say, you know what? Am I taking on too much, right? At work, they're always asking for more, right? If you're not careful before you know it, you're just putting in more and more and more time. And you're like, wait a second, I'm only getting paid for 40 hours, but I'm putting in 60 hours. I'm constantly connected to my email. Here I am answering work emails at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, when does it stop? And ultimately... It stops when we fall off the wagon. It stops when we burn out. It stops when we say, you know, I did this so long, I just can't do it any longer. So one of the things that we're seeing happen with pastors, and please pray for our pastoral team, is pastors are really falling away at a great rate. You know, it seems like every time you turn a corner, 
there's a pastor who's fallen into to grave sin. And one of the reasons I think for that is pastors are doing too much, right? And they get to themselves to the place where they burn out and they say, you know what? It'd be easier to cheat on my wife than to keep doing this. And the adultery is more about the fact that their soul is completely fried. They spent themselves and burned themselves out to a, a large, large degree, you know. And so it applies, I think, to all of us in, in areas of life to step back and say, you know, I've got to look at this road that I'm on, and is it realistically sustainable? Not that the road's ever going to be easy. The road's always going to be difficult. But is it sustainable? Can I really run this at a marathon type of pace? This relationship with the Lord that he's got us on is not just about having a good couple of months. It's not, can I keep this pace up for the next few months, but realistically, can I keep this pace up until I go home to be with the Lord? And sometimes we need someone else to speak in our life to tell us the road we're on. Jethro had to tell Moses, hey, look, the road you're on's not good. So identify the road you're on. And great wisdom here comes from Jethro. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Point number three is know your primary role. Know your primary role. When we're trying to evaluate, is this too much? Then identify, what is it that God has really called me to? And I need to be faithful to God, not what everybody else's expectations are, or my own expectations. Jethro says, Moses, this is what you're supposed to do. You need to be in prayer for God's people, and you need to teach them and instruct them. You need to be going before God on behalf of the people, taking their needs to the Lord in prayer, and you need to be teaching them. So if you look at what Moses is doing, instead of one-on-one trying to sort out these fights that were taking place, he could be teaching and instructing the children of Israel and being much more effective than trying to sort out and be the judge on these one-on-one disagreements. So what's your, your primary role, right? If you are married, your primary role is to your spouse. They can find another person at your place of employment, but you don't want your spouse to find another spouse. You know what I'm saying? Right? That, that, that's a primary role that's given to us. If God has blessed you as a parent, guess what? That's a primary role. A lot of these other commitments that we have, they can find someone else to do that, but n- no one can find someone else. Your kids can't find someone else to be their mom, to be their dad. Does that make sense? That, that's, a, that's a primary role. Above our commitment to our spouse and our kids is our commitment to be a worshiper. You know, God's called us to be in relationship with the Lord. That's primary to, to everything else, right? So you start looking at this and you pray it through and you go, okay, well, I've got to earn a living. I've got to pay the bills. So that's a pri- primary role. So what are the things that that aren't primary that all of a sudden I found myself doing? Say, Lord, okay, help me get back to the focus of what my 
my primary role is. And you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know what my primary role is. Ask the Lord to show you and ask the Lord to, to instruct you because it's a terrible way to live to simply go from expectation to need to expectation to desire, whether it's our own expectation or the expectation that other people put upon us. Jesus, he lived his life off of the marching orders of the instructions of the Father. It's like, this is what the Father wants me to be doing. So I know everybody wants me to stay here, but I need to go on to the next city. A fascinating study in Scripture is when you see this phrase, one thing. One thing. From what I understand, it's used three times in the Bible. David uses it in the Psalms, and he says, one thing that I've desired, that I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord. So in essence, he's saying, the one thing that's primary in my life is to make sure that I'm going to be a worshiper. David messed up a lot in his life, but he got that right. And that's why he's the man after God's own heart. He was always a worshiper. You may remember this debacle with Mary and Martha, their sisters, and Jesus comes over for dinner. Come on, that's a lot of pressure. Jesus and his friends come over for dinner. And Jesus is teaching, as he would always take every opportunity to teach and instruct. Martha's busy getting all of the food ready. But Mary's nowhere to be found. She's not helping out. She's not meeting expectations. So Martha goes to Jesus, and I'm sure Martha was thinking in her heart, I got her. Jesus is going to bust Mary for me. She brings it up and is like, you know, Mary's not helping out preparing this meal at all. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, Mary has chosen the one thing that is needful, to sit at my feet and hear my words. One thing. He uses that phrase, one thing. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Take in his words. Christ is saying all the tasks in life will get taken care of, but have we taken time to be a worshiper? I don't think it was wrong that Martha was preparing the food. It was the heart in which she, she was doing it. Then Paul uses the phrase one thing in the book of Philippians. And he says, this one thing that I do is I forget those things that are past and I press forward to the things that are ahead. And I want to lay hold of that purpose for which God has laid hold of me. In essence, he's saying I'm moving forward into a deeper relationship with Christ. And could we sum up our primary role in one sentence. Can we say, this is really what's important in my life. This is what I got to make sure by God's grace and his strength that I am faithful to. Pray about this. Every time you say yes to something, it may be a threat to your primary role and ultimately could be a distraction. Was Moses being sinful and saying yes to all the people and trying to sort out all of their their problems. No, he was trying to be helpful. But in saying yes to that, he was saying no to his primary role, which was to be in a place of prayer and a place of, of teaching. Verse 21, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of 50, rulers of 10. 
and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that they bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and this people also go to their place in peace. So here's the fourth thing when we're evaluating if there's too much, and it's share responsibility with those who are capable. Share responsibility with those that are, that are capable. Here Moses has people around him that can help, but instead he's doing it all by himself. The list of characteristics is very insightful. First, it's people that are able. So they have the ability to, to do the, the task. They fear God. They worship God. They're men of truth. They're committed to the scriptures. They hate covetousness. They, they hate longing for more than what God has provided. And then as Moses is sorting this out, some are going to be able to be rulers of thousands, some are going to be able to be rulers of hundreds, and some rulers of 50, and some rulers of 10. So God has given different ability to different leaders, and they're at different places in their life. And so Moses has got to sort out, yeah, you can handle a thousand. And okay, you can handle a hundred, and you can handle 10, and be able to put these guys in place. So he's multiplying leadership. What happens is Moses does this, is Moses is going to be able to endure, and the people are going to be in a place of peace. So instead of them waiting to get to Moses, they can go to their leader, and they have access to their leader that can help walk through this problem with them. Because I know there's some things in our lives that we can evaluate, and we can just simply swipe those things. We can delete those things and say, I really don't need to be doing this. Somehow I've allowed this into my life and it's really not important and I can just say no to that. But other things are still important and they need to get done. And so how can you delegate that to, to someone else? How are there things maybe in the home responsibilities that, that can be delegated? You know, if you have kids in the home and you're, you're overwhelmed by, by something and it's up to here, how are ways maybe that the kids can, can help out with, with those things? And I know what you're saying. It's more work if they help out. It's like easier if I do it myself. You know, do you have opportunity at work to, to delegate and to share responsibility? Are you in a position where you get to make some of those decisions? And you can hand things off to, to other people. Maybe it's a ministry inside of the church or inside of the kingdom of God. And do you have an opportunity to say, God, help me to raise up a team. Here I am doing it all alone. And I need to be sharing this responsibility to others. And think about how God would use this to raise up all of this leadership inside of the children of Israel. Oh, but let's get to the heart for a minute. Mm, the heart, the ugly heart. There's something inside of us that says, I like being the only person that can do this. Like if Moses doesn't set up leaders, guess what? He's the man, right? Everybody's got to wait for Pope Moses, right? He's got all the authority. He's the leader. 
Everybody's got to come to him. And then there's less likelihood that people are going to mess things up because you have a multitude of leaders, but some of these leaders are going to make mistakes. If Moses holds on to it, he's got more control. And there's something inside of all of us that says, I don't want to release control. I kind of like being the person that does it all. And if I do it all, I know that it's going to be done right. But at what cost? The cost is that it burns you out and it wears other people out. So how can those responsibilities be shared with those who are capable, those that are able, those that have the, the godly character? In verse 24, so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the peoples, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of 50, rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Here's the fifth thing, and I think it's the hardest And it's the most difficult. It's number five. Is make the necessary changes. Make the necessary changes. Some of you are extremely strong. And you're stubborn. And you hear a message like this. And it sounds good. But at the end of the day. Probably by the end of the week. Instead of taking things off of your plate, you're going to add more things onto your plate. Because more is better and busyness equals effectiveness. If I'm busy and I go from sun up to sun down, then I am effective. But those around you who know you and love you go, you know what? You can't keep that pace up forever. And you've got to make some necessary changes. So what is it in your life that maybe you go, you know what? This is too much. Why am I carrying this burden alone when I could be sharing this burden with others? Why am I trying to make this happen when God's only called me to this and it's time to step back from this and from that? And notice the, the freedom that begins to take place in your, in your heart and in your life. A few years ago, I went and visited John and Elise Kirby in Hamtramck, some missionaries that we support that serve in Hamtramck, Michigan, this two-mile square in Detroit where you have so many nations moving from all over the world, immigrants, primarily Muslim, and they're doing a great ministry through the Navigators. And the head of their team at the time had been doing ministry for, for a long, long time. And he sat down with us in the basement of the home and he began to share what had transpired in his life over the last year. And he had overcommitted and overcommitted for years and done ministry that way for 30, 40 years. And what happened to him is his body finally gave out. And he physically could not get up and go to work went and visited the doctor, and the doctor said, you have ran yourself too far, too thin for too long, and the only way you're going to recover is to spend the next six months in bed. You just got to rest. 
It's the only way you're going to come back. So he rested, and eventually he was able to regain his strength and his ability to be able to work. But as he came back into the ministry, he had to do it differently. He had to rest, and he had to give things away. So this was really dear to his heart, and even though we were just visiting and we didn't know him, he wanted to to share that with the three of us that came out to, to visit. It was timely for me because something that was happening to me in that season is every Thursday is I would get here to the office and I would feel completely numb. I couldn't get work done. I couldn't type an email. I couldn't write a sermon. My mind was just completely fried. My body was saying, you just, you're, you're toast. And Wednesday is a glorious day here, but it's a very full day. And we, and it used to be even fuller. And, and at that time, we would have most of our meetings on Wednesday, because it's when all the staff is here together. So we'd start with staff devotions, and then we'd have our weekly staff meeting, where we'd go through all the details, and getting a message together for Wednesday night. And I did that routine for years. I mean, just years and years and years and years and years and years. And this was, this was probably about four years ago now. And I was, I was hitting a wall and not even realizing it. And not e- even after hearing this missionary share in Hamtramck and knowing that, man, I'm kind of numb on Thursdays and I can't quite function the way that I would want. And, you know, it wasn't like I could have a conversation and all those type of things. But my mental capacity, I just couldn't pull it together like I, I normally could. Um, and then I had a friend and I, at this point, I hadn't shared that with anybody. In my man pride, I didn't tell Amber. You know, I hadn't, hadn't shared with my Friday men's accountability group. It's like, I'm just going to tough this out, and I know how to do this, and this is a season, and I'm, I'm going to get through this. And I had a friend meet with me that I really respect, and he said, you know, Eric, I really care about you, and I think you're doing too much. And also, a third component that was happening during that time is I was reading a book called Leading on Empty. That you, you just get to a place where your tank is empty and you're giving out more than, than you're receiving. And through about a half-hour conversation, my friend encouraged me, you, you got to make some changes. So at that point, there was enough warning signs that if I didn't make some changes... I wasn't going to sustain at the pace that I was going. So we changed up meetings. Now we do those meetings on Thursday. We don't do those meetings on Wednesday. I used to lead the, that meeting on Thursday. I don't lead that meeting anymore. Robert leads that, that meeting, our assistant pastor who does a great job. And his mind works much better with details than mine does. So it's a great use of, of his gifts. There was about a two-year period where I gave away one Wednesday a month where I wasn't teaching on Wednesday night and on the weekends. And there was a handful of other things that I had to, to change. And, and one of the things that pastors aren't very good at, even though the church gives us vacation, is we don't take our vacation. So I wasn't taking all of my vacation, even though I was being given vacation. I was working on my day off, even though I teach that you're supposed to rest. And so it's like, okay, I got to start making sure I rest one day a week. You know, man, those iPhones are tricky, aren't they? Right? And a lot of work comes through email. 
It's like, I'll just check my email real quick. I got a few minutes. And then all of a sudden, there's one email on the list that emotionally gets you. And then you find yourself thinking about that email the rest of the day. And so here I was, working all the time, not taking vacation, not, not resting, trying to pack too much in. Wasn't the best at being able to, to say no. But everyone else on the outside would look and say, Eric's just fine, right? But I knew that things were starting to misfire a little bit internally. And I'm thankful at that point, God got my attention and I I made those changes and it's a discipline to keep those changes in, in my life. So the reason that I'm passionate about this is because I love you. I care about you. You know, and I, I want to see you grow in your relationship with the Lord and be effective in your relationships that matter the most. And so that may mean that you need to stop doing some things. You need to make some, some changes. You need to give things away. Because this is destroying Moses, how much could it be destroying us as well? And this mentality, it destroys strong people right? Moses is a strong man. He's a strong leader. He's able to do a lot, but he has to be careful that he's not doing too much. So if this is resonating with you, is I hope that you get a holy discomfort, that you get really uncomfortable this evening, and you go, wait a second, what path am I on? And is it headed to a place of burnout? And am I wearing other people out? Do I need to get off of the treadmill and make some necessary changes. And when I was making those changes, I felt unglued inside. It was very difficult to let go of some of those things. But once I did, and God is blessed with so many amazing leaders here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, I felt like I had a new lease on life. You know? There was, I was like, wow, I should have done this a long time ago, right? And so, what is it that the Lord would say? You know, why is it that you take this upon yourself? Could you give it to someone else? Do you maybe need to not even do it? As we head into the holidays with Thanksgiving and Christmas, for some of you, you know you're headed into the most rotten, miserable time of the year. And you do it to yourself every year. And you say yes to things, that you should say no to things. You maybe buy way too many gifts that you don't have money for, right? And it's this expectation that the family's put on you or you've put upon yourself. And you know January 15th is going to stink, right? Because here you are running up these gifts on credit cards, saying yes to all these things that you don't, don't have time for. And by the time we get to Christmas, it has nothing to do with Jesus, right? And what is it maybe that the Lord is saying, hey, do that differently this year. Take it before him and and say, Lord, do you really want me saying yes to to all these things? And is there a way that this could become more, more simple? I'm pretty sure that from Halloween to January 1, not all of that, the way we do it, is God's design, it could be God's design if we allow the Lord to lead us through that, but he's probably looking down at us going, oh, here we go. They're going to do it again, right? They're going to create all this unnecessary stress for, for themselves. 
We all do it. I, I do it. So make those necessary changes. And so here it is in verse 27. Then Moses left his father-in-law. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went his way to his own land. What an important visit. What an important visit Jethro to Moses. I'm sure Moses thought this was primarily about getting Zipporah and his two sons reunited with him, but God had such an important plan. So I just want to simply revisit these things, these five things, is you need an outside perspective. You need a Jethro in your life. Go find one. Go, Go knock on someone's door and say, help me see the things that I'm not seeing. I'm convinced we're not going to see it on our own. And you've got to try to identify the road you're on. Okay, am I on a road to burnout? And be, be honest about that. Then know your primary role. What is it that God's really called you to? What is it that God's really gifted you to do? And function inside of that primary role. Then give things away. Share responsibilities with those who are, who are capable. In our case, it may be saying no to some things or giving some things away to others. And then finally, make the necessary changes. And this is not going to be easy and you're going to get uncomfortable and it's going to be a process. All right? You start to unpack these things and make the necessary changes. It's going to be a few weeks. It's going to be a few months. But the end result is you're going to find a pace that you can endure. And the the people around you are going to be able to live in peace instead of being worn out. Jesus' invitation to us, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and you'll find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. So all we've got to be concerned with is what's the yoke of Christ? Not what's the yoke of my own expectations or the expectations of others, but what is Jesus calling me to do? What does it mean to be yoked up with Christ? I, I would love to hear from you. If this, if this message was for you, would you send me an email? My email's on the church's website because I'm just curious. I'm curious if there's anybody here that's saying, you know, I came in on this Wednesday night in November and a place of saying, man, too much. It's just too much. And I would love to hear how maybe God's using this section of scripture in your life to to make make some changes. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for the simplicity and the focus in which you have created life to know you, to love you, to walk with you and God, life gets so complicated. There's so many commitments. There's so many things that we're trying to get done. And would you help us in this? Would you help us to be able to unpack this of of where we've taken on too much, just like, like Moses? And would you show us the road forward? Would you show us how to be able to, to do it differently? And would you rescue us from that place of, of burnout, of just running ourselves right off of the rails? So we thank you and we praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.